Hey, this is Ari Shapiro, and you're listening to PS Tape Recorder on the internet. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, Dana Gould. Planet of the Apes was like the biggest, best episode of the Twilight Zone they ever made. And Escape from the Planet of the Apes is like the biggest, best episode of Love American Style they ever made. (laughs) Can't have a visit with Dana Gould without talking a little bit about Planet of the Apes. We talk about a lot of other stuff as well, all of his other TV projects he's got going on, uh, his podcast, all kinds of fun stuff going on with Dana. Our song of the week is from Wolf Alice. But before that, we have ourselves a dumb bit. The NPR program on the media has a little checklist that they uh, have posted on their website that people are supposed to consult whenever there is a mass shooting, uh, something that happens, of course, all too often in the United States. And uh, among the rules, I believe, I don't have it in front of me, but among the rules are there's almost always never a second shooter. The first reports are always wrong about everything going on. And one thing they don't have on the list, which they should at the end of it, is that afterwards we cannot discuss anything about laws involving guns. Mm Mm-mm, no way, can't do it. Well... In the wake of the uh, tragic shooting in Las Vegas, uh, things have kind of turned out a little differently than usual. Uh, People still don't want to talk about it, but then they kind of do. I'll explain. Uh, First of all, the the good guy with a gun, bad guy with a gun thing didn't really work out for them because there were a lot of good guys there, and the Las Vegas police performed quickly and wonderfully. Uh, I, I don't know how they found the guy so quickly, but he was 30 floors up and 300 yards away. So every good guy with a gun that was at that concert, it wouldn't have made any difference. So that's one. Well, what people have kind of centered in on now uh, isn't so much the, the gun. It is the gun, but something he attached to his gun in order to make it function differently. It's a thing you may have heard about. This new, it's called a bump stock. And it um, I'm going to explain this wrongly because it, it doesn't make an automatic, a semi-automatic rifle into an automatic rifle but essentially that is what it does. It allows you to squeeze the trigger and fire off multiple rounds. And well, uh, about a week after uh, all of this, people started turning up talking about these things and people you would not expect saying things you would not expect. For example, Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma on Fox News said this. Uh, That mimics an automatic weapon, which we as Americans said decades ago, uh, that we would not allow for civilian use. Uh, So that's already a settled issue in American law. The issue is, is this an exception in the process? Is this something that needs to be confronted and changed? Those are all questions that are reasonable questions after an event like this, and quite frankly, were reasonable questions in 2010. 2010, keep that date in mind. It becomes important in just a minute. Uh, Another clip from Fox News. Uh, They had a gentleman on named Brad Blakeman. He was a a deputy assistant or something or other in the George W. Bush administration. And uh, he further explains about the bump stock and why why we're taking a look at it. I think it's absolutely time. Like any other regulation of any product, in, in America, we should absolutely look back from time to time to make sure that our laws are consistent with public policy. 
What in the world? Okay, you have two Republicans talking about it's not not restricting guns, but it's uh, something that goes on a gun. And remember, back years and years ago, they uh, wanted to outlaw what were called hollow point bullets. And I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, it's because uh, those are more lethal and they have a better chance of going through police bulletproof vests. I think that's the the thing. I think they've improved the technology now, or that maybe isn't the case. But uh, police uh, organizations did not want hollow point bullets out on the street because they were more lethal. And the NRA said, no, 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 you have to have hollow point bullets. So this is kind of the same thing. It's not the actual weapon, but it's something used with the weapon. And you have this Republican saying, hey, we should look at at, uh, at banning these things. And and, and why, why are Republicans so excited about uh, banning these? Well, Mr. Blakeman reveals the answer right here. Uh, in 2010, President Obama, with his ATF, deemed that the bump stock was an accessory Oh, there it is. Yeah, just for clarity again, Mr. Blakeman, why are we all of a sudden looking at uh, banning a gun accessory? President Obama. Okay, got it. Thank you very much. And the NRA released a statement saying, yeah, we should probably look at these things. But if you if you kind of look at the statement, it's pretty hilarious. They start off saying, uh, yeah, we should look at this. And when you get to the end of the statement, it's kind of like, you know what? You know, we shouldn't be banning anything. We want, to, we want to infringe on Americans' gun rights. So uh, a question I have, if these things were so terrible, and they are actually terrible. I'm not if they're terrible. They are terrible. Uh, but if they think they're so terrible now... Where were the gun experts, the NRA, the people who should be the experts in all of this, where were they in 2010 saying, hey, President Obama, this is a bad idea. You might want – where were the lobbyists saying, hey, no, no, we shouldn't uh, be allowing uh, bump stocks? They were completely and utterly silent. And the second lesson to be learned from this, of course, is um, you could transpose this over to health care. Well, President Obama should have been uh, – you know, uh, for things like denying people with pre-existing conditions and maybe even for single payer. And, and we would have gotten those things in the long run because Republicans would have come back to us and said, you know, hey, uh, you know, that we don't have single payer is terrible. And the reason we don't have single payer is because President Obama. Dana Gould is a stand-up comedian, writer, and fellow podcaster. His television program, Stand Against Evil, uh, debuts its second season on November 2nd, I believe it is, over on the IFC or the Independent Film Channel. Here now is your interview with Dana Gould. Hey, Dan, it's Pia from, from Minneapolis City Pages. I almost hey, man, how you doing? Good. I almost at Cincinnati City Beat. I got confused as to what paper you're doing this for. <laughs> um, I'm going uh, to for one second. I'm just uh, literally uh, feeding my dogs. Can okay. Can you hang for 30 sure. seconds? Sure, sure. Sorry, thank you. I was like, your dog will look at you like, okay, it's time to feed me. And then you put their food down, but first they sniff it like, hang on, I'm not going <laughs> to eat just anything. Right. <laughs> I might send this back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I might go with the daily special. Can you read those to me again? <laughs> what is this shit you're foisting on me now? Hang on a minute. Uh, yeah, I almost tweeted you uh, a couple weekends ago. We were up in Cleveland. And I bought, a oh, little, right. I bought a little tchotchke for my desk. Uh, it's this little tiny sandbox in which you place uh, the top half of the Statue of Liberty and a little plastic guy and a horse. And, and, and by <laughs> golly. for me. And, and, and it, yeah, they were having a big 50% off sale. And I'm like, $2.50? I'm having that. So sitting on my desk in my day job. Right? 
And then, uh, well, I'm glad I could be a part of your your Cleveland trip. There you go. Yeah. And then I had a debate with somebody. We we started debating. Oh, in my office here, we started debating all the movies, uh, the original movies. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, and what was the upshot of that? The upshot I'm of curious. that. Uh, the upshot of that was, of course, uh, first one brilliant. Uh, second one, pretty good. You can't blame Jimmy Franciscus, as Dennis Miller says. Uh, and then the third one is third one is Escape, right? Because we were having trouble. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It kind of silly, but still, you know. I had to explain to my daughter the whole the whole backstory, right. and uh, she was a little confused. She goes, "Wait, how did?" I said, "I, I yeah. said spoiler alert." Very clever. A very clever story. Yes. Uh, really well done. Yeah. Um, kind of it, it, as I've said, I actually said this the other day, like. Planet of the Apes was like the biggest, best episode of the Twilight Zone yes. they ever made. Yeah, yeah. And um, Escape from the Planet of the Apes is like the biggest, best episode of Love American Style they ever made. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, well, I was trying to... I love Conquest. Yeah. Um, yeah, those last two I haven't seen in a long time. I used to. The last time I saw them in a row, the Independent Station in Cleveland... And when I was in high school, ran them on successive nights. It was Ape Week, of course. Right, sure, yeah. We so, had that one in, yeah, uh, yeah. in Boston. So I had the, um, but I have the DVDs, and I only managed to make it through the the first three a couple of years ago. I never got around to watching the last oh, my, The two. fourth is my second favorite one. I, I find, ben, I mean, Beneath gets points because it's just so fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the plot is just like, by the end of that plot, it's like, okay, let me get this straight. Astronauts from the future have a cave girl girlfriend, and they're... <laughs> fighting telepathic mutants beneath the surface of a war-ravaged New York City who worship an atom bomb, but an army of talking apes is also... <laughs> yeah, well, it was... I do admire that they get there logically, but God damn it, that's a big sandwich. That is. That's a big bite to take. I was trying to explain to my daughter how the apes uh, got to be in control of the Earth, and I'm like, well, it's a post-apocalyptic thing, which her sister's into those kind of stories. Like, So it's kind of uh-huh. like that, but I can't remember in Escape how they explain it, whether is, is Caesar a genetic mutant or something like that? No, they, no. in Escape they have a different backstory. In Escape they say there was an ape named... All, they, in Escape they talk... In Escape they tell a story about how the dog and... The, do, the plague wiped out all the dogs and cats, and then over a series of generations... Yeah. Apes became uh, pets and then slaves. Oh, that's and then right. One day, an they ape learned. named Aldo said no. That's and then, right. And the next movie, they just said, "No, nah, let's just do it all in a week." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and and I love that. My favorite weird small thing about Conquest, and I really love it. That was the first movie where they stopped giving them ape feet because they just had no money. Oh yeah, and they and they just gave, they just put them in loafers. They'll be fine. Yeah. And you look at these giant hulking gorillas and these tiny, tiny loafers with human feet. And they didn't even try to hide it. Like, yeah, fuck it. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, we had this discussion. I think the first time we had this conversation was um, and finally, Me TV ran the TV series uh, last uh-huh. summer, yeah. and I recorded all of them, and I'm about five or six of the way in, and uh, you know, not too bad for '70s TV. Uh, no, well, you know, it was just all, every show back then just became the fugitive. Yeah, <laughs> the fugitive. The, I mean, the Hulk was the fugitive. Yeah, uh, Planet of the Apes was the fugitive. Logan's it's, Run. It's, Logan's Run was the fugitive. Yeah. What show they should have made the fugitive and didn't was uh, Colchak the Night Stalker. Oh yeah. Like his whole life was just chasing down the vampires they killed. 
from that were spawned by the vampire he killed in the TV movie and just having different weird adventures along the way. I think that would have been a much better show than just this week it's the garbage monster, this <laughs> week it's the cloud monster, this week it's the monkey monster. Although I love the show and I love Darren McGavin. Who oh, yeah. doesn't? No, exactly. Yeah, it was a great show. And yeah. I guess the, the, that kind of informs Stand Against Evil a little bit, uh, and, and shows of that era, too. Is... Oh, there's, the, the Stand Against Evil is a huge 70s show. Um, the title fonts are from the 70s. The title fonts are from the Rockford Files. Oh, nice. Um, it's so funny because the directors, the directors for the first season, and they directed some of the second season, are these really talented guys named Jack Bishop and Justin Jim. But they grew up with 80s horror movies. Okay. And their instinct, when I said, you know, I wanted to have a very retro feel, they went, right, 1985. And they went, like, to synths and a lot of primary, bright primary colors and all of that stuff that came in in the mid-'80s. And I had to go, no, 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 I'm talking about 1972. And I gave them, and, you know, all the music cues are uh, Robert Colbert, 19 early 70s night gallery tv movie yeah dark shadows kind of music cues the color composition is all that sort of brown 70s avocado green um i really wanted it to look like a, you know there's things that you don't pitch because people aren't going to get them but to me it was like let's do a really funny episode of the you know what if we tried to do a, an episode of the night gallery but the cast didn't play along <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, what if we put the what if we put the cast of All in the Family into an episode of The Night Gallery, but they didn't change the way they behaved? That's basically Stand Against Evil. Okay. Yeah, we we have it in our queue uh to watch. I just realized even though it's not on Netflix, I think I can probably watch it on the IFC it's on, website. It's on Hulu. Okay. And season two premieres November first. And I reckon I can get that on the IFC website though with my mother in law's cable password, so I'm gonna get that sorted. And we'll go yeah, you can certainly, yeah, and you can absolutely get it on Hulu. Cool. I know that. All right. Yeah, we're currently yeah. trying to get through uh, Bloodline over there on Netflix, which... Uh, Is that good? Ooh, that's a snooze. It's oh, so yeah. slow. Uh, but we love Kyle Chandler and uh, and Linda Cardellini, so we're sticking with it. And my wife's friend says, it's going to get good. It's going to get good. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll stick with it for Kyle Chandler only. Right. We'll see. I'm, I think the next thing, I'm trying to watch season two of The Revenant. If you saw that, it was a French show. Oh, no. Um... Uh, it was good. It was it was remade here poorly as the returned, but uh, the the original French version is on Netflix. The Revenants. It's okay. Really good. Yeah, Netflix picks up a lot of the foreign uh, yeah. shows. We were trying to watch that one about the gangs in Northern England in the 1920s. Yep. Yeah, and my I want to see Broadchurch. Everyone tells oh, me Broadchurch. Oh yeah, yeah. Church, my right? brother's into that one. Yeah. So yeah, just just too many shows, and then we you know we, yeah. I work four jobs, and we get into bed at ten o'clock, and we fall asleep 20 minutes into a show. So it's... Yeah, it's absolutely right. Um, my girlfriend has never seen the movie Ed Wood, and that's usually, oh my how God, I kick off. That's usually how I kick off the Halloween season. Oh, good. But instead, we, we know we're not going to get through it, so we've just been watching Peter Gunn, <laughs> which are 30 minutes long. Yeah, yeah, yeah like exactly. Yeah, that's what we do. And if, yeah. Like, we watch old Frasier and Friends, and if we miss anything, it's like, we've seen it before, so we're not going to miss anything. <laughs> but i got to watch Ed Wood again. and What a great movie. Uh, yeah, my friend, and I've since become friends with the guys that wrote it. I'm like, yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, they were talking on my friend's podcast. Um, in fact, you're friendly with uh, April Richardson, who was on. Oh, very friendly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's one of the rotating hosts of Rock Solid, and they had this discussion. Uh, I don't know how they came up uh, on it, but uh, Ed Wood is really unlike the rest of the Tim Burton movies, really. 
I guess yes, because it has a script. And it, yeah, <laughs> and it's more of a biopic, and it's yeah, it's not you know crazy. Well, I think that Scott and Larry, who wrote Ed Wood, um, uh, also wrote his other really good movie. that's kind of underrated, Big Eyes. Uh, you know, and I, I'm not saying this like as a bit. Like I know people that know him. I know people that worked with him. I know people that worked with him uh, for years. And, you know, Tim's a very nice guy. He's clearly very brilliant, but he also does not know the difference between a good script and a bad script. He just doesn't know the difference. Mm. And if he has a good script, he makes a good movie. And if he has a dog shit script, he makes it anyway because he doesn't, can't tell the difference. Hmm. That's interesting. That said, he does a lot of shit I can't do, so I'm not bagging him. I'm just like, that's, you know, that's how you can get a movie as good as Ed Wood and a movie as bad as Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Yeah, I guess sometimes when you're close to the huddle, though, it's kind of hard to tell. You know? Yeah, no, I've been there, you know, believe me, and just to make his fan against evil, you know, like, you think you're, you think it's genius, and then you look at the first cut, and you're like, oh my god, do we have to show this? <laughs> um, so, if, if, has it kept you, like, off the road a lot? Cause I know you, um, you make it probably a yearly or a yearly and a half trip to Minneapolis and places like that. Yeah, no, it doesn't keep, it, it, it's, it's done so really nicely, basically, I start writing the script in February, and, uh, I, you know, that I do while I'm touring and doing stand-up. And then uh, we go down to Atlanta in um, July, uh, July, end of June, July. And then we shoot for six weeks. And then I, you know, do heavy posts where I can't leave town for three weeks. So basically what it means is I take the late summer off the road. And then I get right back on the horse in September, October. And so- then I work straight through till May, June. And it works out really well. So when and, you're out, out on the road, do like, things inspire you? Like you think, oh, this would be... Because I know a lot of areas, like up in Cleveland, we have a... Right where I grew up, we have a legend about uh, something called the Melonheads. And a buddy of mine... Melonheads? Yeah, he's trying to get a, a movie made. They, someone they, someone uh, they made a novelization out of it, and they're still trying to get a script. Yeah, it was some kind of experiment. Uh, look at Bob Gray Melonheads uh, later on. Oh, this sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and... Um, uh, hang on, Bob Gray, G-R-E-Y? Yeah. A-Y. American spelling. A-Y. Yeah, and Melonheads. Melon yeah, and he wrote it with two other guys. Well, it was his script. These two guys novelized it, and they're still trying to shop it around as a script. Apparently, uh, I'm not telling tales out of school, uh, Martin Mull is a buddy of my friend Bob's, although he's yet to get him on my podcast, so I, I question uh-huh. that. But anyway... I have Mar- one of his paintings. I'm looking at one of oh, his paintings right oh, now. Oh, how weird. Yeah, well, Martin Mull is <laughs> allegedly attached. Um, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but he's going to play the doctor. And apparently this doctor... As legend has it, we were kids, did these experiments on these kids that had the, uh, sometimes disorder where it causes the skull and brain to swell. Hydrocephalism. Yes, that's exactly what it is. And uh, they escaped and caused all kinds of uh, ruckus and there's varying legends. (laughs) It happened in the suburb next to us, uh, just south of us, called Kirtland, Ohio. We're from Mentor, which is the first suburb north of it. But that's, yeah, that's basically it. So yeah, look that up and... uh, Oh, I will. That sounds great. I'm starting to write a script now with my friend Rob Cullen who I met in 1992 when I crashed in his office at the Ben Stiller show. And we've been friends ever since. Oh, cool. Um, he directed half of the second season of Stan. Um, we're writing a script based on, uh, also based on a true story about in the late 70s, Soviet Union built this massive cruise ship, like the love boat. And it was <laughs> built to you know, take wealthy Russians around, you know, the the top part of the upper hemisphere, northern hemisphere, you know, 
Greenland, Iceland, Soviet Union. And then the Soviet Union collapsed uh, under Gorbachev, and they couldn't afford to maintain this crazy ship anymore. The company went belly up. What they do is they just parked it in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh, yeah. And bailed. Yeah. Yeah. And the Canadians like, uh, hey, dudes, the ship? They're like, I don't know, figure it out, fuckers. (laughs) And so the Canadians literally towed it out into the middle of the ocean. Yeah, let it go. Right. But what happened was, about a year later, it's drifting. It's just a ghost ship. Yeah. And it's drifting towards the coast of Ireland. But now it's filled with rats. Oh, yeah. That are full of disease and cannibals because there's nothing else to eat but each other. Yeah. And it gets to, and then it disappears from radar and shows up again. So we're setting a movie. It's it's basically a, it's like um, uh, the Poseidon Adventure meets Willard meets Aliens <laughs> about like the team that is sent to sink the ship because it's full of the plague. Yeah. Uh, but their helicopter gets wiped out in a storm and they lose communication, and now they're trapped in the middle of the ocean with no help on this ship full of diseased rats, oh and God. they have to get, they have to kill the ship and get out of it. And so it's it's going to be really, it's, we're writing it, and uh, he wants to call it Rat Ship. I want to call it Rat Ship Crazy. <laughs> 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 but we'll see what happens. Yeah, put that in front of some focus groups, I reckon. Uh, yeah, see what they have. but you know, there's usually the tr- the truest story. The, you know, you you can't top a true. You know, yeah, exactly. You, sh- you make up a great story. I'll tell you a true story that's better. Cool. Um, yeah. I guess suppose we talk about a little bit stand up since you're going to be appearing in in Minneapolis. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what kind of things are you talking about on stage these days? Well, it's 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 a really exciting time to do stand up for for two reasons. One for me, my my new album comes out on October sixth, uh, called Mister Funny Man, and. So that's going to be out there. So that means I'm overhauling a lot of, you know, you do you do you do a rapid turnover of material because you don't want people to buy your album and then come and just hear the album that they just bought. So um, I'm gonna uh, I've been working a lot and doing a lot of sets around LA writing material. And what I've been doing now is uh, Mr. Funny Man uh, covers. Uh, a lot, you know. It's funny. Every album is like a novel, and if you if you if you ask any novelist, they're like, you know, I wrote this novel here, and that will tell you what my life was like at that point. And I wrote this novel here, and that will tell you what my life was like at that point. Uh, the new album is absolutely like that. It covers all the things that I had been uh, concerned about at the time, and it's a lot of there's sort of two themes that run through the album and that batch of material. And it was the sort of um, uh, awakening of hyper woke culture. Of you know, suddenly there are all these rules about what is funny and what is not funny. Oh yeah, that did not exist before. And the main thrust of that chunk of material was no, actually, everything can be funny. It's just in what you and how you talk about it, and. The album before this, I know it's wrong, was basically my ex. And none of this is intentional. This is just how it comes out. Um, taking a really 
hard subject matter after hard subject matter after hard subject matter, but talking about all of them in a way that isn't indicative, that isn't innately offensive because the context isn't offensive. And in this album that's just coming out, it was really more about uh, being uh, a single person for the first time in a long, long time. Um, I had my I I had gotten divorced, and then after my divorce, I was in a very serious relationship for three years. And then when that ended, I was really single. I was a single dad for the first time in 21 years. I was a single person. Um, and that gave me a very specific way of looking at the world, and I talked about that. And now my life is very settled. Uh, I, I'm in a great relationship. I have a TV show, and I'm sort of loosening up my the reins on my material and talking about a lot more personal stories and and, and in in the ways that uh, uh, how they affect my life. My my kids are uh, eight, thirteen, and fifteen, um, and I'm also uh, the, the person I'm seeing has uh, children that are younger, so I have my feet in two different lives, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like uh, Downton Abbey. I have upstairs and downstairs, <laughs> and uh, and and it's uh, comparing and contrasting those two lives and being stuck in the middle is is interesting. And there's also being stuck in the middle of being like a a, a well intentioned, you know, a well intentioned progressive uh, secular humanist. Who also rolls his eyes at excessive wokeism? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I know exactly like, what you mean. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, you know, it's like yes, I, uh, you know, I, I don't have any problem with uh, where trans people go to the bathroom, but uh, I also think Caitlyn Jenner is full of shit. <laughs> so it's, it's like, so I hope she finds a bathroom. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's bad. It's sort of like I, I'm trying to be progressive, but not toe the line on everything because right. comedians are innately iconoclastic. Exactly, and that's what I don't. I'm a big. Um, uh, I really. I'm, I've been doing it long enough that I can uh, be aggressively against groupthink. Um, you know, there was a there was a there was an eight year period where every young where. There was an eight-year period where every comic walked on stage in track shoes, an ironic 1980s video game T-shirt, and a hoodie, and um, that was supposed to show the world how unique they were. Uh, yeah, they're very unique. We all dress this way. Yeah. Um, and and that's what I'm kind of uh, pushing pushing against and sort of carving out a, a voice. And uh, to that extent, it's really an exciting time to do stand-up because there's something to talk about. There's a there's a view that you can look through and. Uh, um, uh, and, and 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 talk about things that people don't necessarily agree with, but do it in such a way that you don't alienate them. Awesome. Well, sounds like things are going great for you. I appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, the I hope you had one quote in that fucking oh, word burger I just gave. Oh you. yeah, yeah, no problem. Like I said, I, the the best um the best podcast episodes are always the ones where I don't have anything to use for the print pieces. But that's why I was have to ask at the end. I did this with Pardo the other day. I'm like, okay, now we need to talk about comedy because there's nothing I can use for the paper, and it's always a good <laughs> podcast episode. So got to walk that line. 
Um, so yeah. yeah, it'll be in print in City Pages the week you're there. Uh, podcast episode will drop in a couple of weeks. I've got a couple of huge guests coming up, you amongst them, so it's going to be a good run. I hope to get those um, those downloads oh, and feeds back up. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. let, let me give you my cell number, and if you get, you know, if you're trying to write the print piece and you're really hurting for a quote, oh, okay. just give me a call. Okay. Because uh, this is my landline that I'm not always. I'm, okay. I'm never I think home. Sheila gave it to me as the backup number. Is it uh, the one with all the threes? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Hang, uh, keep, keep that close, and if you get stuck, just give me a call. Excellent plan. All right, Dana. Good talking to you. All right, Daddy. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Bye bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks again to Dana Gould for being on the show. You can catch Dana at Zany's in Chicago November 2nd through the 4th, and then he's in Boston November 16th through the 18th at Laugh in Boston. And for all other Dana Gould dates and uh, the link up to his podcast, the Dana Gould Hour, just go to danagould.com. That's going to bring us to the song of the week. Song of the week is from Wolf Alice. Uh, I always forget how much I like Wolf Alice, and I believe this is their third album. They have an EP, and this is going to be their second album. Actually, the album is out. Uh, This is one of the singles from it. The song is called Delete the Kisses. It reminds me a little bit of Lush from back in the 90s, if you remember them, and kind of that ethereal kind of uh, sound to it. Kind of uh, beach housey, but maybe more guitar-y, and maybe even more kind of, um, I don't know, I guess mystic vocals. I don't know if that's a a good description of it, but uh, it's a good tune. It's Wolf Alice. Delete the Kisses, our song of the week on PF State Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 